the volume. Oral Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. FanDuel is the best. They're America's number one sportsbook. It's so easy to use, safe and secure. What more do you need to hear here? There's fast payouts too, as quick as two hours. What a turnaround. And there's so many different bet types as well. The same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, futures. There's risk-free bets and the same game parlay bets, enhanced odds markets. There's so much more. It's fantastic. It will not let you down. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9889 in Tennessee. Or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hello, all you sweet, beautiful people listening to another episode of The Sessions. Welcome. How's everybody doing? How's everyone hanging in there? Is everyone doing okay? Are we feeling good? Should we take a breath together? I recently just got back into doing yoga, so I'm trying to get my chakras aligned. I used to love doing yoga, and then I just kind of dipped out when I was like working out with the trainer and trying to get like actually shredded, which didn't happen because I got actually knocked up with my sweet little babe. But anyways, I just got back into yoga, and man, I feel good. You just got to stretch it out sometimes, breathe into it, lean into it, take an hour for yourself on your mat. I actually hate when the instructors say that. This is your time. Dedicate your practice to somebody. Let's just get through the flow. You know, you know what I'm saying? Is this, am am I a little too niche right now on the yoga stuff? I feel like that's pretty broad, but maybe not. I don't know. Anyways, enough rambling for me. My guest today is a former NFL player, Sean Merriman. Loved having this dude on the show. Um, I got to meet Sean. Gosh, I think he said it was 2014. He came in, started doing some stuff through WWE. So that would have been, I guess, about the time that I met him. And then our paths have crossed again uh, when we were both working for Fox Sports, seeing each other in that world. And now the dude just moved to Las Vegas as I moved out. So yeah, we just talked about his life in Las Vegas. He's so damn busy working on a million different things. Lights out, extreme fighting, uh, his MMA promotion that he's working with with Fubo Sports. Really, really cool stuff. But this dude just gets it done. What a hustle. I feel actually like inspired by him to go like get my shit together and I don't know, start some kind of business. The dude, he owns his own life insurance company. What? It's these side projects. You don't think about That's where like the real money is, I think. I got to look into this stuff. Anyways, guys, let's get into it. Here he is. Here's Sean Merriman. doing what's going on well you got like a lot of stuff going on you like just try to like keep your head on that's like where i'm at right now like you just try to keep your head on and i get up in the morning first thing at six you know when i wake up at six hit the gym and then i start doing everything the shit just don't stop i always kind of look to the rock for that mentality of that like up at 5 a.m clanging and banging moving and shaking like doing all that shit that's you is that something you like implement is like go 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 all the time yeah and that's something i talked to him about before too 
like we all know what goes on behind the scene, right? You always see like somebody, you know, either making money or living his life or on TV. And like, we understand like all the shit that goes on behind it. And I asked him, I said, dude, like how do your head like stay on your shoulders? You got so many different things, but you know, it's a lot of things we have in common is being able to do something like that, but also too, like using the gym and working out as a form of meditation, keeping it all together. You know, it's been a big part for me. When do you get tired? Do you, because I feel fucking exhausted right now. What do you do when you are tired? When do you wind down? Whenever the pre workout wear off, I guess. Oh. <laughs> I need more pre workout in my life. Shit, I'm drinking like 100 coffees a day. I'm going to get like some yerba mate or something. I don't know. Keep it coming. You know what it is, is that I have a set regimen now, like where you're going through the day, you're getting these things done. And then like around six or seven o'clock, like I started to hit that wall now where it's like, okay, cool. You've been out working for 12 hours doing stuff. What's like your typical day? Like if you're up at 6 a.m., give me like a rundown of what your schedule looks like if you're like regimented like that. I get up at six. I'm normally in the gym by seven. I live out in Vegas now. So I'm either at, I go to Extreme Couture if I'm doing MMA, some type of MMA training, or I'm at um, Dragon Slayer, which you know I get my weight in. So I'm at either place like at least five or six times a week. So I do that. I get home because I have my the MMA league lights out extreme fighting. So we're, we're talking, constantly talking to football, sports during the day, like Zooms, getting the next venue set up. So all that happens like until 12 o'clock or 1230. And then I got my insurance meeting. So I own a life insurance agency or whatever. I have about 150 some odd agents or whatever across the country is where I'm at now. My building. Wait, where did that idea come from? How does this become like a business thing for you? So during the pandemic, when everything got shut down, I was like, shit, I need to figure something out. And so just like, and I was living in LA at the time. So everything got shut down. And so a good friend of mine had introduced me to a company called Family First Life. And I said, okay, cool. No way in hell I'm doing insurance. Like I laughed actually. I was like, I'm not, fuck, I'm not doing insurance. You kidding me? And then it ended up being like one of the biggest things I have going on because everybody need life insurance. You need it. I mean, I got an 11 year old son. And if you're married, you got kids or like you need life insurance. I don't care who you are. So I built an agency called Lights Out Agency, and I probably gained 20 to 25 agents a month. Wow, that's wild. What a busy guy. Okay, so you're out in Vegas now. How is Las Vegas treating you? What's the deal out there? You know what's uh, funny is that like before I came out here, I'm like, man, I'm going to go out. Because I already did all that shit too. So like at this point in my life, like that's not even important to me anymore. So I don't really care to do it. So I've been more focused out here because of the casinos and obviously being in the fight business. Uh, the sports book stuff has kind of just been going crazy lately. I've just been out here nonstop, just getting, you know, getting shit done. I know. I'm sad that we like missed each other. You got there just as we were kind of making our way out of the city. So we're in Cincinnati now. But yeah, we were like ships passing in the night. We could have tore that town a new asshole. Yeah, I know. When I reached out to you, I was like, and I just found out that you live in Vegas. I was like, okay, cool. Let's let's catch up or whatever. That's when you hit me and said, hey, by the way, like we're on the way out. I'm like, shit. I know. Damn. What could have been as we were like, you know, building our like friend Rolodex out there. We uh, we pieced out a bummer, but you're there at a good time. You're there while like it's you're, you kind of dodge the heat for the most part. Summer will be a different story. But OK, so you're training out at um, Extreme Couture. Tell me about like the MMA training and stuff that you're doing, because you actually used to train with Randy himself, right? Jay Glazer was like, you should try out this MMA thing. This is like my 2005, 2006 season. And I said, shit, okay, whatever, you know, try it out because it'll help out with your football. So I said, okay, cool. I walked in the gym and um, 
Jay Glazer was to the right, and then Randy Couture is to the left. So I don't know anything about like what's going on. I'm thinking he wanted me to like spar Randy Couture. And I'm looking at him like, dude, you lost your fucking mind. Like, hell no. This is like Randy was still on, you know, kind of he was in the mix. Um, and this is one of the most baddest, the baddest people of all time that this walked this earth. So I was like, hell no. But that day he started to, you know, show me how to grapple and and uh, pummel and just do like little things. And I could not figure out for the life of me why bigger, stronger, more athletic than Randy, that he was able to toss me around and shit. Like it just like total humbling experience. And so from that point on, every off season, I was training with all the MMA guys. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But you mentioned Maryland. What was what was your childhood like growing up in Maryland? What what like what to, what what was your life like? I grew up in Maryland in Prince George's County in Washington D.C. during a crack epidemic. When crack and everything hit these, it hit the, this country. It hit D.C. first. Like it hit D.C. got the worst of it. So I grew up in that time in the late, you know, late 80s and 90s where crack cocaine, like just it was insane. You know, we were homeless a few times and lived in cars. Me, my mom, my sister, because we had got put out. We couldn't pay rent. Lost one of our homes to a fire. Uh, my mom had lit a candle because we didn't have the lights and electricity. So she lit a candle so we can see. And a candle caught on fire and burned our place down. So we were, you know, homeless for some time after that. Oh my gosh. How did you, like, how did you stay out of getting into like too much trouble? Or were you caught up in a lot of trouble as a kid? No, sports. Like even in my neighborhood where I grew up at, all the drug dealers and stuff, if you were a good athlete, they wanted you to stay away from it. The hustlers and the drug dealers and the people in the neighborhood, if you're a good athlete, they will tell you to stay like, hey, don't don't come around here around this time. Like you couldn't be around it. So that's how a lot of the drug dealers was in my neighborhood growing up. They, you know, they knew I can play ball. And so everybody kind of just treated me, you know, like family, like, hey, you know, you know, and they used to call me Lil Shawnee back then before, you know, before lights out. It was like Lil Shawnee. You can't be around here when we're doing this. And so I, okay, cool. So I either went to the house, but it was always around. Okay, so you're growing up uh, in Maryland. And you're just an insane athlete. You're obviously a great football player, a great basketball player. How did you decide which one to pursue? Because you were on the varsity teams for both, correct? I started playing basketball. And the funny part is, so I came from the area and through the um, AAU team that I played for as a kid where Kevin Durant, Michael Beasley, all these NBA stars, DeMar Johnson, all these guys came from my area. Like we all grew up within 10 to 15 minutes apart. And so as I got older... And I start going here, Kevin Durant and everybody start doing that. They start getting taller. And my it's, it picked me. Like I was like, okay, let me go over here and do this football thing because God is coming down court this, you know, six six in high school, however tall he was then, jacking up from half court. That ain't my thing. Well, it worked out. It worked out. Things work out the way they're supposed to. So it's all good. Um, and then you got the name Lights Out in high school, right? I mean, this has been going on for some time now. So my sophomore year, uh, I went to Frederick Douglass High School in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. My sophomore year, I knocked out four kids in one game. And so after the game, I had about 20, 25 students come running up to me and said, man, you knocked those kids' lights out. I like played it off cool like it was supposed to happen. I said, yeah, you know, call me lights out. And not knowing that that shit was going to stick, Monday morning, I got to school and I'm walking around my book bag on and everybody's like, oh, good game, lights. I'm like, oh, shit. I went home. To my mom, and I said, Mom, I got to get this. I want to get a tattoo of this light switch to my right forearm for lights out. And she said, um, she said, boy, get the hell out the room. That's what exactly what she says. Get the hell out the room. So two weeks, I'm bugging her, bugging her, bugging her. And she finally let me get this uh, lights out tattoo of my right forearm. So 
that's where the whole like sack dance, everything else came from me having that light switch. That's so funny. Wow. Um, okay. So did you trademark lights out? Because this has been an issue for so long of people jumping on the lights out bandwagon from Steph Curry, Under Armour, Nike to pajamas. How do you stay on top of this? So in 2006, I bought the name and trademarks from another company called PJ Salvage. It was a huge pajama company and they owned the rights and I bought it from them. I like, I always had this thing that I knew was going to be something. I just didn't know what yet. And it turned out the first thing I grew it in was apparel, well, like clothing, t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, and hats. And I didn't know shit about anything, but you give me like an opportunity and give me some time. I'm going to find out whatever I need to find out from whoever I need to find it out from. And uh, I got really good and, and learned the clothing industry. So my first deal was like in 2007 in San Diego at these um, sports shops called Sports Fever. It was like a nine sports memorabilia shops where they sell sports apparel and stuff that it did well there. And I started to learn a business. And then I went to all M life properties in Las Vegas. That was my next deal. So every hotel, every, you know, MGM and uh, Bellagio, Mandalay Bay, everybody sold lights out in the, all those gift shops. That was my second big deal. The third deal that I did was through Tilly's. I sold in like a hundred Tilly's across the country. So you put me somewhere, I'm going to figure it out. I don't care where I am or what I'm doing. Mid 2000s, I knew nothing about the clothing industry. By the end of 2007, 2008, I was already in storage. What a wild journey. Do you think that you would be where you are right now if you weren't able to turn Lights Out into the brand that it is now? No. And, and the reason why I say that is because um, you know what it is when you're when you're in it, you're, you're, like you're doing your thing, right? For you, it's, you, you know, your talent, you, people know you and stuff like that. But then at some point in time, you know, some of those opportunities go away. Now, you might get opportunities in other things. There's always opportunities, but exactly like to kind of feed off of what you have there at the moment. Like I was growing everything while I played, like I was at the peak of what I was doing on the field. And so for me, like when I got done, it was an easy transition. And I tell any professional athlete, the hardest thing to do when you get that first year or two, when you stop doing whatever you're doing is so damn rough. It's hard. You're trying to figure it out. That regiment's gone. That traveling schedule's gone. You're looking around like, what do I do? You're not in the locker room anymore. You're not around the same people. Like everything is different. And so for me, I was able to make that transition because I already had everything going on while I played. Yeah. I mean, it's true. You're right. I mean, not that what I was doing was anything compared to like what you're talking about, but even just coming off of like that WWE lifestyle that you step away from it and you're like, wait, what am I doing again? It's like getting your footing back in and getting your own groove back again. It's it's a trip. Did you did you go through other ebbs and flows of that aside from being able to already have like your business and all that stuff kind of already set up while you were in the league? Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. Because that first year or two, you always feel like you have you got an opportunity to go back and play. And so you know, I played since I was, I believe, 10 years old. And so you have your your boys and girls club or whatever, you know, club you play for. And you go to high school, you go to college, then you go to the pros. There's nothing after like there's no next step. And somebody finally comes to you and be like, hey, let me get your playbook. That's it. You're done. There's no more. You're a civilian really for the first time where your day don't revolves around you playing sports anymore. Everybody go through. I went through it. I, and I was on set. My first job that I took was for NFL Network. And I was on set some days like, yo, this shit sucks. <laughs> yeah. How different was that for you? Like putting on a suit and going in and becoming an analyst and like Stepping into that role, what kind of things did you have to learn to to kind of survive in that world? When I first started doing it, I didn't feel comfortable because 
in the locker room and you know how like you you're protective of you like your industry and the people you're around and you don't throw anybody under the bus and the whole thing. If you got a guy to go and blow a coverage and you know him, you got to be like, hey, he's supposed to be on hit cover three. This is the person that made the mistake. As an analyst, you got to do that. And I didn't feel comfortable doing that. That's rough. That makes me like feel uncomfortable because I feel like that sometimes when I talk about wrestlers, I'm like, I don't want to shit on anybody. I, these are all my friends. I know how it goes. So it's it's it can be rough. It took me a little bit to step away from that mentality and say, hey, this is my job to do this now. Instead of going to try to protect everybody and stuff, people want to hear your expertise because you actually did it before. So you're not necessarily shitting on a person or throwing somebody under the bus. It's like, what did you see? So when you start talking about your experiences, then you're not really throwing anybody under the bus anymore. What all went into uh, like the conversations that you were having with yourself or the people that were around you when you were starting to wind down from playing when you decided to retire? I had that internal like look in the mirror conversation and that mirror was called the film room. So like we were watching a film after the games and I was like, God damn, I look slow. Or, you know, situations where I knew I would have made the play if it was two, three, four years ago, five years ago, I would have made the play. Like everybody else see it, you know, teammates, fans, whoever's watching, we're the last one because we're programmed to be great mentally, but your body or whatever you're doing is, is not programmed to stay great that way. It just, you just can't, Father Time's going to catch you. So we're always the last people that know that it's our time. Did that fuck you up? It was a, a humbling and also kind of like a, a reality check because I was at one point so explosive. I can make any play and I, I can go out and take over games. I knew I was good for two, three and four sacks against certain teams. And I just couldn't do it anymore physically, even though mentally I can go out there and do it. But my body was like, nah, man, this is this is it. With big fights every week, there's never been a better time to give FanDuel Sportsbook a shot and join the action on FanDuel Fight Nights. Because right now you can place your first bet risk free. That's right. You're going to get up to 1000 bucks back if you don't win. FanDuel gives you so many bets to choose from. There's parlays, round props, method of victory bets, and so much more. FanDuel is the number one rated sportsbook app in America. It's incredibly easy to use. It's such a no-brainer. Plus, it's safe and secure and real quick fast payouts. You get that money right back in your pocket. ASAP. One of my favorite features. You got to stay rich, you know, keep that money in your bank account. This app is so easy to use that when you win, you actually get paid in as little as two hours. So with FanDuel in your corner, you'll always get exclusive odds boosts, great promotions, and so much more to make your FanDuel fight night even more exciting. That is why they are America's number one sports book. So sign up with the promo code Renee to bet risk-free up to $1,000 on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. That is promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 for Arizona. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-270-71117 for confidential help in Michigan. TN Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. 
transitioning into into the MMA world, violence in sports is something that you gravitate towards. Uh, what what is it about that you think that kind of makes your heart go pitter patter? I think we all love violence. I mean, I think this whole country loves violence. It's the reason why football is the you know the most watched sport here in the country. I think that the reason why MMA and fighting has always been around for thousands of years, technically, you know, just we we love violence. More people call me lights out now when I go anywhere in the country and they do Sean. They do that because they appreciated the way I played the game. You know, it wasn't like I had the best stats out of anybody and all. I mean, I have some accolades, but, you know, there's guys that far much better stats, but they knew that when I strapped it on, I played, I wanted pure violence for four quarters. That's it. You know, I think that me kind of transitioning to MMA, it was the easiest thing to do. For one, I've already been training myself, but been around it for 16 years. And so when I saw the opportunity to launch this league with Lights Out Extreme Fighting, there was another former local MMA league before I came in and took it over. It was like, man, I, this is this is home. This is where I wanted to be. My first deal out the gate, what I went up and, and negotiated with, was with the regional Fox deal. So I got us on Fox. Fox Sports West and Prime Ticket was, I think, was our original launch pad. You hustle, man. You get it done. And now you've partnered up with Fubo. Um, you just had an event recently. What do you want Lights Out to be? What do you want this promotion to be that's going to be different from, from a Bellator, from a UFC? One of the biggest things in, in, a, in a, why I'm ex- excited for the Fubo partnership is, for one, we were in the, the pandemic crushed everybody. And so coming out of the pandemic and partnering with a company like Fubo, they're very tech savvy. That was the first thing I was like, we started talking. They want to integrate tech and fan experience and do all this. And I'm like, my eyes are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger because that's where I want it lights out to be anyway, because that's what I know from the NFL. Like the NFL is big as it is because of fantasy football and, and being able to have all these this fan engagement type of thing. So I immediately wanted to do that with lights out. Second part is that I want us to be a premier league. Our last fight had 200,000 people watching on Twitch and a few hundred thousand people watching live on the stream. To start out that way with that amount of viewership, it just shows that we got the right product and we're doing the right things that fans want to see. How many events do you plan on putting together? Like, how are you? What's like the structure for how often we're going to be able to see some of these events? Uh, Right now, we're going about every month and a half or so. The truth of the matter is there's a lot of fighters that need opportunity. And I have former athletes from other sports just transitioning into my league right now. I got a show that I just shot, um, that I wrote, produced and shot on my own called After the Game about former athletes that are transitioning into like former NFL, rugby, track. I talked to a couple guys at the WWE. I was like, man, look, come on up because it's guys that want to, you know, guys that want to scrap. Any names you can tell us? Or is that a secret? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I haven't got a green light yet. I'm working on it. But see, you know, I've been around a lot of these organizations, including the WWE, when I was, you know, I was working there and being able to host WrestleMania and all this. Like I've in the backside of the production and and seeing how things work um, and all the from Fox Sports. Yes, I've been around this for a long time. And it was time in 2018 where I was like, I want to do this shit myself. I know what I'm doing. Um, I have access to some of the greatest people in this industry and I know I can grow this thing. And that was it. What do you think about a promotion like Triller and what they're doing right now? I think it's good for them. Trilla was one of the first ones I talked to for a while. I sat down, I drove to Ryan's house. We met for three hours. What they're doing is good for them. Like, so regardless of what people say about the Jake Paul fights and all that, I bought the fights. And a lot of people say, oh, I'm not watching that shit. And guess what? They watched it. And so with Trilla, for what they're trying to build, is it's great. It just wasn't great for us. 
There's going to be like the purists that don't want to see what they're doing. And they think, you know, yeah, like the Jake Paul coming in there, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, they're drawing in new names, bringing in new eyes, bringing in bands like Metallica, having Snoop Dogg there performing, jumping on commentary. Like they're definitely uh, not cutting any corners in terms of their production value. That's for damn sure. How much do you think um, that you guys want to implement sort of that like glitzy side of fighting? You know, sports and entertainment is always going to be, there's always going to be a crossover, no matter what. You can't deny it or try to fight it or whatever. As far as having live concerts and stuff, like we've entertained, you know, local artists and coming in and doing some stuff and whatever, we're looking at it. But as far as being a concert venue and a event like they are with verses and everything else, for us, the number one thing I want to do is make everything we possibly can do is integrate it for people at home. With the gaming, the, the football sports book, they just launched the sports books and these next couple and coming fights, you'll be able to bet chokes, knockdowns and knockouts and, you know, all kinds of stuff during the fight within Fubo. You know, I want to make it as integrated as possible. So while, you know, Triller and all these other people out there doing their thing, my number one concentration is getting everything integrated so you can have the best fan experience possible. So you used to spar a little bit with Tyron Woodley. How do you think he does this time around with uh, with Jake Paul? So when I walked in there with Randy Couture, one of the first people that I saw training in there, this is the mid 2000s with Tyron. And so this is when he was kind of just had a wrestling background, but his boxing wasn't that great yet. So he became a better stand-up and boxer. And, and I'm friends with Tyron, but my thing with Tyron is always going to be the same thing. He's not going to win anything until he let his punches go. I don't care who he fights, whether it's Jake or anybody else. He's not going to win fights if you've got an opportunity to put a guy down and you don't do it. He got the capabilities. He had Jake against the ropes. But the other thing is, too, and I'll say this, and I, and, and I want to say for somebody who trained with Jake, when he was first starting out, it, may, it might have been a two. Wait, you trained with Jake? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So I'm really good friends with Shane Mosley. You know, Shane always trains up there in Big Bear. So I went to go. He invited me up. He said Jake and BJ and everybody was up there staying for a week or so. And I said, OK, cool. I'll come up there. And just like everybody else. Before I went up there to see Jake, I thought it's, it's some YouTuber out here trying to, you know, throw some fights, get some viewership and thought it was be like you know, more of a, um, you know, like a mockery type of deal just to make some money. That's what I thought it was. And then I got up there and I saw him actually training and putting in work. My first thing I said, I, I tapped Shane. I said, dude, he works like he's he actually goes out and has the mentality to train like a pro because a lot of these guys, you know, you look at the YouTubers, they get this negative, like kids doing dumb shit and all, you know, just, you get that attitude about them. But that was a total opposite when I, when I went up there and stayed for a few days and we went running up there and, and sparring and all, you know, all this stuff. I said, this guy is going to be good. So I'm not surprised at his success. I think he's going to beat Tyrone and I think he's going to beat him bad this time around. This is no shade or hate on him. Until Tyron decides to let his hands go and go for it all instead of being so reserved, you're going to get outboxed by Jake because Jake's the better boxer. Do you think that Jake Paul is now starting to get more respect from other fighters and other boxers? Yeah, but the problem is, is that when somebody don't like you, they're going to find a reason to not like you. Like we knocked out Ben Ashman. It was like, oh, the fight was fixed. And I'm like, listen, a fight on Triller, Showtime, whatever it is. This is not the 1960s. People ain't fixing fights. Because if you do that, you jeopardize the company, you jeopardize the league, the promotion, you jeopardize everything. Because now everybody's looking like you're not watching those fixed fights anymore, even if all the other fights are real. So nobody's fixing no fights anywhere. But Jake is so disliked. He's so disliked that even if he goes out and beats a qualified guy, they want to say things like it's fixed. And I'm telling you, this guy, he's tr- 
He trains like any professional athlete I've ever been around. Do you think that he's good for the sport? I think he's great for the sport because he brings a different demographic. Now, me being a, a league owner, promoter, and being on this side of it, I would keep doing what they've been doing, right? You put Jake Paul up there and fight, you know, whoever, whether it's Tyron or whoever he plans on fighting, and then you stack it with a ton of other real fighters that you want to get eyeballs. That's how you build other guys. You start to launch other big fights. The promotion's big. You get the numbers and the viewership you want. So it's perfect for the sport. But then again, anybody that's saying that Jake Paul should go out and fight Canelo right now is crazy. What do you think about what Jake Paul's been able to do in terms of the pay scale? Um, I mean, I know he's called out Dana White before. He's talked about it a lot for what fighters get paid. Um, what's your stance on that? You know, first and foremost, people have to understand that when these other MMA guys or former boxers or whoever go and fight for a different promotion and they get paid more, they've already made a name for themselves. So you can ask for that amount of money. Could fighters get more? Yeah. But then again, you ask anybody in any industry where they want to make more money, they're probably going to tell you, yeah, they deserve more money. Anybody. So when people say that fighters are not getting paid, make a name for yourself, right? And then that's how you get paid, by winning and creating a promotional avenue for you that brings in viewership. You're going to get paid. So when I hear people say that, it doesn't make sense because, okay, yeah, Anderson Silva is going to make more boxing. He's going to make more doing that in one fight than he has in his, in his last fight or two with the UFC. That's uh, definitely a very valid point that I think a lot of people kind of forget when you just look at like fighters getting more money. You're not like looking at the category of fighter, what their brand is, uh, their name value and all of that. You mentioned WWE. So what all happened there? You came in, you were working at the Performance Center, you had hosted a WrestleMania part of the kickoff show. What was like your first interaction with WWE and sort of the bright lights that dazzled your eyes over there? Obviously, for one, growing up and being a fan of it, right? I mean, I, I don't know anybody that was around my age that didn't watch WWE just growing up in general. It was like every time I got home from school, it was I was going to watch. If I had a practice, I was going to watch WWE. So just watching it from that standpoint. But I started talking to Paul Triple H before I retired, probably like in 2011. We were talking about it in, at an event. And we started kind of going back and forth. It's a, an event in L.A., I, I believe it was. And I think I came out there one night stand. I did something. It was a pay-per-view I did in San Diego. And I was a part of the show. Got really good feedback. And then we started to keep in conversation. I told Paul, I said, hey, I'm going to retire here probably in the next, you know, whatever. So the plan was to work with NFL Network and then train half the time and the other half time spend in Orlando at the Performance Center. I want everybody to know that the workout is brutal. Like, I don't, I don't. What did they put you through? What was the training? I think they wanted to see if they can just take me through the ring. But it was a straight hour nonstop. I try to tell people that those ropes, there's metal under those ropes. When I got done with this work, I was all bruised up. Billy Gunn was my in-ring coach. And then Regal did, you know, was on the grappling side and some other stuff. And after we were done... You know, every week, the, the NXT, they're down there, and then you do that, that weekly, what do you call it, the, week of, the weekly promo cut. You did one with Dusty? With Dusty. So let me tell you. <laughs> so got done my workout. Um, you know, I went, and um, everybody's there for about two hours doing their promos. And this is when everybody who's in on the main stage now was down there. And I'm sitting in the back, and two hours go by, and I tap my publicist. I said, hey, let's, you know, let's get ready to get out of here. And right as I'm about to get up and leave, Dusty said, 56, I bet you didn't know I was going to do this, but uh, bring your ass on down. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so no practice, no nothing, right? I, I, I haven't gone over anything. I got 20 seconds to figure out what the hell I'm going to say when I get up there. 
And first of all, it's Dusty Rose. I'm not telling, you know, I'm not telling him no. Dusty tell you get your ass up that you, you're going. He did it to me once too. I was fucking sweating. Yeah, I was sweating bullets. Got up there and I just did what I knew best without having anything really put together or practicing. And I kind of just started ripping on certain people who I saw already, already do their promos. Because I was watching the whole time. So I just started ripping on certain people. So when I got done, JBL pulls me over to the side. He said, listen, that's one of the best promos I've ever seen out of anybody who's never had any practice ever. Is what he told me. That's awesome. So everything was good. I told my publicist, I was like, go back to the hotel. I'm staying here. Me and Dusty, we sat in this little office in there. We talked football for three hours. And it was one of the best conversations I had. So we, I left, went back to, to NFL Network. And now I'm trying to work out schedules. Now talking contract. And one of the biggest holdups, I think, too, is that this whole lights out thing. We go back to me owning lights out and name rights. And so that kind of ruffles some feathers a little bit, too. But all in all, I think that really didn't work out. They were launching the network around that time. And there were a bunch of layoffs and it was a lot going on right around that time. I think that they laid off like 10% of all employees for WWE. They wanted to have the name Lights Out for you if you were going to work there? Yeah, no way. It was like, come in as Sean Merriman and we'll figure everything else out. I said, guys, look, I've already, you know, kind of built this name. And more importantly, you want you want to have this there. I mean... Um, and I work with everybody in the, every license department, everybody in every division. I knew everybody there within the company, like everybody who was somebody, I knew them, talked to them on a daily basis. So I knew exactly what they wanted and what they needed for me to do. And I told them, I said, look, lights out is what you guys want. So let's figure this out first. It just kind of fizzled out after that. I did some stuff on the, on the network, you know, host by hosting WrestleMania, uh, Monday Night Raw. And I believe I did a SmackDown or something like that too. And I still talk to a lot of people there still to this day. And who knows? I remember when all that was happening, because I remember you coming in. I remember there's like a bit of a buzz. It was like Sean Merriman's here. He's supposed to be signing. We don't know what's going on. But I feel like you were, especially of like that NXT era, as they were building up the Performance Center and all of that, you were like the first like legit athlete that they were trying to bring in. That's the way I remember it anyways, because I do remember there a buzz around you coming in for that. You know, they love monsters, right? Was they, they come and they want the big guy, the athletic guy, and they wanted to go after athletes. And I've always said the more athletes should be doing that. You know, my boy Mojo playing ball and they got a couple other guys who played ball as well. It's the perfect fit. When you're looking for looks, athleticism, and what they're trying to build, they should be going after more former athletes. Certainly, especially when somebody can come in and bring in that charisma and all that. Um, and I know now they're they're working alongside with the NCAA with that NIL situation. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there, but I think they're signing, what, like 50, 50 different people to other contracts or something um, outside of uh, – outside of their sport. So kind of cool to see them start to integrate these other athletes into, uh, into professional wrestling. I'm excited to see what they do with that. What else is going on with you? What else do you have coming up? You're the busiest man around right now, it seems. Uh, what else is happening for you? Working on a big fight in January for Lights Out Extreme Fighting and expanding the whole like interactive stuff with football. Like I said, the pandemic screwed a lot of us up. So a lot of these venues are so backed up for not having nothing for a year. So now you got to like start planning for your 2022. 2022 for us got to be big because we have the best up and coming fighters in MMA. Ask anybody at any of the major MMA companies, they'll tell you that we have we have the best up and coming talent. And so it's really just growing that talent and um, making sure we get more eyeballs in certain distribution. Well, I'm really excited to uh, continue to watch this grow 
see what else uh, you have going on. I, I think just like the interactive part, like you said, I think that's something that could really catch on and be something really interesting. I mean, even just like the live betting aspect of it, of what the finish might be or whatever is, is something really, really cool. So congrats. Appreciate it. Well, you got, we got to get you out to a fight. Yes. I was like, oh, yes, yeah, I'm thinking she's coming to fight because that's that's one of the places we're looking at right now for, if not January, then February to uh, be in Vegas. And I was thinking about you. I said, I said, yo, let me reach out to her to see if she's in Vegas. And oh, I'm moving to Cincy. I said, Cincy. <laughs> I know. Like, I know. It threw a lot of people for a loop. Threw me for a loop. But here we are. I actually really love it here. It's beautiful. But I know because when you first reached out to me, I think I had like just had my baby and I was like, I can't go anywhere right now. I'm like stitched up. I don't know what's happening. But next time around in 2022, I can make it to a fight 100%. Sign me up. Well, good to see you. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye out for all things uh, Lights Out. Okay. You got to appreciate it. A big thank you to Lights Out for joining me on this episode of Oral Sessions. Make sure to follow Sean on all of his social media platforms. See what he's up to. Uh, stay, stay in contact with him because he's doing so many different things. You guys can get your own eyes on Lights Out Extreme Fighting because, uh, yeah, this dude just crushes it. You can catch him. Uh, his Instagram is just at Sean Merriman, as it very well should be. Keep an eye on all things that he's working on. Dude is making some moves. Head on over to my YouTube channel. Subscribe, like, do all those things. And, uh, yeah. It's almost 2022, guys. Let's let that really soak in. 2022, what are we going to do with ourselves? And some New Year's resolutions. I'll list them on the next episode. 